Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that Jesus is indeed our good and great shepherd. And we pray that this day and always we would be attentive to his voice and follow where he leads. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. I want to invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to chapter 10 of St. John's Gospel. And there are also Bibles under your pews if you need them. And I would invite you to follow along. Today is Mother's Day, but in addition to being Mother's Day, and we'll have more recognition of Mother's Day a little bit later, but in addition to being Mother's Day, today is also Good Shepherd Sunday on the church calendar. Good Shepherd Sunday is always the fourth Sunday of Easter. And the gospel readings on Good Shepherd Sunday, whether it be year A, B, or C, always focus on some portion of John chapter 10. In year A, it focuses on the text, I am the door of the sheep. In year B, the text in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And then today, where we're reading from year C from Luke's gospel, or not from Luke's gospel, from John's gospel, but in your C, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. The setting for all of this is the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, what we know more commonly as Hanukkah. And this commemorates the events that took place between 167 and 164 B.C., For three years at that time, the Syrians under Antiochus Epiphanes had taken control of Jerusalem. They had desecrated and profaned the temple there. They had erected an idol of Baal Shaman, which is the oriental version of the Greek god Zeus. And they desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem. Under leadership of Jewish Maccabeus, the Syrians had been driven out of Jerusalem and a new altar had been built. And the Feast of the Dedication was the annual commemoration of the reconsecration of the the temple in Jerusalem and its altar. In the midst of these festivities, John's Gospel records that Jesus is walking in that portion of the temple complex known as the Colonnade of Solomon. And in this setting, a group of Jews, presumably comprised of leaders from among the temple elites, this group gathers around Jesus. And the picture here is one of hostility, with them encircling Jesus, kind of hemming him in, if you can picture it like a group of playground bullies at elementary school that kind of encircle another kid and hem him or her in to harass and bully them. They want to corner Jesus. They want to demand answers of him. But Jesus' response to their demands is not what they are wanting to hear. Look at verses 25 through 26 with me. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Backing up to verse 24, the question they asked there, how long would you keep us in suspense, has more profound significance than what may appear at first reading, especially in the English translation. 
The question that they pose to Jesus is clearly hostile, and it can accurately be translated as, why are you taking away our life? All four commentaries that I studied in preparing this sermon said that. Why are you taking away my li- our life? Or even more literally, it's the idea that Jesus is taking his life or soul from them. And this is consistent with what Jesus has already said in this setting, backing up to verses 17 through 18 of John chapter 10, where Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, but I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What we see here is also consistent with the mindset of the chief priests and the Pharisees as demonstrated a little bit later in John chapter 11, verses 47 through 48, where we read this. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They really did not need more evidence to know the truth about Jesus, who he was, that he indeed is the Messiah and the eternal son of God. And Jesus names this reality for what it is. I told you and you do not believe the works I do in my father's name bear witness about me. They have both seen and heard Of Jesus' manner of life. They've heard his teaching, especially with regard to who he is. In John chapter 8, we read that Jesus said to them, to the same group of people, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. There's no question about who Jesus stated that he is to them. To say before Abraham was, I am on Jesus' part was a clear statement of his eternal existence as God the Son. They were also aware of his deeds of kindness. And they know of the miracles he has performed. Miracles which pointed to who he is and to the inbreaking of God's eternal kingdom into human time and history through Jesus. The late Bishop J.C. Ryle had this to say about this. We should observe how our Lord always and confidently appeals to the evidence of his miracles. Those who try to depreciate and sneer at miracles seem to forget how often they are brought forward as good witnesses in the Bible. In the immediate context, Jesus has just recently healed a man who was born blind in John chapter 9. This man, miraculously healed, was well known among the people who went to the temple because they saw him there begging on a regular basis, begging because he needed to do that simply to survive. John 9, 13 recalls that this man was even brought before the Pharisees to testify to his healing by Jesus. And now you have the very same people confronting Jesus. They had seen plenty enough to be able to recognize Jesus for who he is. They didn't want to see. They did not want 
to acknowledge the truth. In John chapters 11 and 12, after Lazarus is raised from the dead, they not only want to do away with Jesus, but now Lazarus too. Listen to these verses from John 12. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Not only did they not want to see and acknowledge the truth for themselves, they wanted to suppress the truth about Jesus to keep others from this truth as well. So why didn't they want to affirm the truth about Jesus? Why did they want to keep the truth about Jesus from others? I believe it comes back to their question. How long will you keep us in suspense or better worded? Why are you taking away our life? They did not want things to change. They did not want to surrender to the truth of God's transforming grace. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. It was not somehow that God did not extend this possibility of life to them. I mean, John chapter one, we read this in John's gospel, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then in 2 Peter 3, 9, which I've quoted a number of times lately, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So why didn't they want to believe and embrace the truth of who Jesus is? They loved the things of this world. In their case, temporal power. They were enthralled with this power, this temporal power that they possessed. And Jesus was indeed, in a sense, taking away their life. The things they loved that were not in accord in, in, according to the will and the heart of God the Father. The fact is, Jesus completely upset. He trashed, if you will, their concept of a Messiah. The view to which they continued to tenaciously cling was about someone who would give them greater temporal power who would expand and increase their power base. Someone who would overthrow the Romans and put them in charge. For them, it was about politics and earthly power and the lust for more of it. Lust for wealth and power and human accolades. And Jesus dashes these misplaced hopes this desire for power, and he points to the Father, to the heart of the Father. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. 
So instead of believing, the more Jesus performed miracles which they saw, the more he revealed the true and genuine heart of the Father to them, the more the truth of the values and priorities of God's eternal kingdom were evidenced right before them, the more hardened they became. They dug their heels in. F.F. Bruce in his commentary on this passage says this, where the heart of the spectator was insensitive, each successive work served but to harden it more. It was the raising of Lazarus that made Jesus' enemies finally resolve to encompass his death. Why is it that so many people in our day reject the gospel? Now, I know there are a range of reasons for that. But for many people, the reasons haven't changed and they're very much in accord with the reasons we see right here with these religious leaders in John chapter 10. People love the things of this world. And Jesus threatens all those things which give them a false sense of security. Jesus threatens their temporal power and worldly influence. He threatens to upend their wealth and they're clinging to that. He threatens their praise by people on the accolades of men and women. He makes them insecure in their false sense of control. Their false sense of personal autonomy that they cling to. They want to maintain the status quo, which requires no sacrifice, no submission to a higher divine authority, no amendment of life to be aligned with the kingdom priorities of God. How ironic at the feast of the dedication, commemorating how God acted on behalf of his people to bring them deliverance beyond all human possibilities. At this feast, which remembered how God brought them out of darkness and enabled the restoration of true and right worship of him, worship which ultimately pointed to the one who was to come, the promised one, who is Jesus. How ironic on this day, at this event, they rejected the very one who was and is the light of the world. Jesus, the true light, which gives light to everyone. John 1, 9. The truth about who Jesus is was abundantly clear then and continues to be clear today for those who want to see and hear God's truth. The second thing we see in this text is that the sheep grasp the truth about Jesus. Jesus continues, look at verse 27 with me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Are you listening? Are we listening? Are we listening to and for God's voice? 
Church, how is God speaking to us? And to be clear, God's speaking will always align and be in accord with his written word. It won't be contrary to it. But what is God speaking to us in our lives today? What is God speaking to us as a church? You know, even as God's people, as true sheep, we are not immune from the possibility of our hearing becoming dulled. The lure of the things of this world is always there, lurking in the shadows. Sometimes not in, in an, um, an obvious way, supplanting our surrender to Christ, but so, so often Satan's distraction, or his ploy, rather, is to distract us, to not lead us into some gross error or sin, but to busy us and distract us and fill our lives with noise so they don't listen clearly or hear clearly the voice of God. What is God saying to us today? I can tell you one thing he's saying is the truth of who we are as children of the Most High God in Jesus redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God is speaking and reminding us of that if we put our trust in Christ's. And God is also here as we are willing to listen to show us his will and to show us his heart in this hour, in this moment, in this day, but also for the days ahead. And I would speak especially to our students and our youth and our young adults. God will speak to you about his call on your life, whatever that vocation may be. If you will listen, God will show you and he will indeed order your steps. Are we listening as God first and foremost calls him to himself as he calls us to greater intimacy with Jesus? Are we listening as he asks us to invite him in to those struggles in our lives, to those dark places that need more of his grace and more of his power, more of his light? Are we listening and inviting him in so that he can clear out the distractions and the junk and the sin that keeps us from more of God's working in our lives? If we are in Christ, God's voice is always accessible. God knows us. He loves us. He's reforming us in the image of Jesus. But indeed, the sound of his voice can be dulled. When I worked construction and I would wear my hard hat, um, I always had this, lots of us did this little plastic pack hanging on a chain on the, the strap on the back of our hard hat. And that's where I kept my hearing protectors, my, my earplugs for while I was on a job with a lot of noise. And it was important that we wore those things when there was a lot of noise or a lot of equipment running on a job because what happens with hearing loss, as many of you know, it's bit by bit, Jim, I see Jim back there smiling. It's bit by bit over the years, and you don't realize that you're losing your hearing. You don't realize that your hearing's been damaged until all of a sudden it's very pronounced, and we can't hear particular things, or we can't hear certain sound levels or certain wavelengths, whatever, however you want to frame that. So we need to wear, in certain types of work, hearing protectors, people that work in construction and industrial settings know that well. We need to put on our spiritual hearing protectors as well. 
Amen. So that the noise of the world and the distractions of Satan around us don't diminish our ability or our capacity to hear the voice of God, to listen to his voice and to respond. This past week, Father Jed and Emily and actually Chloe and Lily as well, and Deacon Julie and Tammy and I were all at our diocesan clergy and spouses retreat. Now you need to know, this was the 2020 clergy and spouses retreat, Monday through Wednesday, that was postponed to 2021, and we finally had it this past week. And it was a wonderful time together. It's the first time, especially with our spouses, we've been together for a very long time since before COVID. And the guest speakers were Bishop Terrell Glenn and his wife, Teresa. He's the assistant bishop in the Diocese of the Carolinas. And they taught over those several days. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And Bishop Glenn said to, to Bishop John, um, when we were getting started, he said, you know, you had two years. You, you still couldn't find somebody better. <laughs> But one of the things they talked about was the idea of knowing that we're loved by God. And yes, we, on a mental level, on a cognitive level, most of us recognize, understand as believers that we are loved by God. But then they took us to the next step. Do we live like we're loved? Do we live as children of the Most High God? Do we live loved? And that's how they really condensed it down. Do we lived, live loved? And we can indeed do that because we know that Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And as we lived love, lived loved, the things of this world don't have the same kind of hold on us any longer. Because we don't get our sense of value or worth or identity from the things of this world or from other people. It's rooted in Jesus Christ and who he is. My sheep follow me. And the more by God's grace we protect our hearing, the better and more clearly we hear his voice, even in a world filled with noise all around us. And we can indeed, as we listen to him, we can indeed follow him by his grace and power working in us. We can indeed follow him, our good, gracious, and faithful shepherd. And as we do that, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the lore and the things of this world more and more, step by step, become less and less and less of a distraction. The more we follow and listen to Jesus, the less of a pull those things have on our lives because God is remaking us more and more into the image of Jesus. And the more and more we listen, and the more and more we yield and follow our shepherd, and obviously it's possible to follow him because Jesus said it is. It's possible to know his voice because Jesus said that we can. The more and more we do that, the more and more our hearts and lives and all that we are become more fully his. He is indeed our good and gracious shepherd. 
My sheep follow me, and I know them. Let us pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is indeed our good, gracious, and faithful shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Thank you that we can enter in, that we can know his voice, and we can be led of him. So, Lord, I pray for each of us, clear out the clutter, clear out the noise, clear out the distractions, the things that would keep us from clearly, fully, and accurately hearing his voice, and give us grace to follow after him with all of our being. And, Lord, I pray for those who may be like the religious leaders in Jerusalem that day who don't want to know the truth about Jesus, who don't want to hear the truth about Jesus because it somehow is going to indeed stand their life on its head. And I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes, that you would help them to see that true life is found in Jesus. Break the hold in Jesus' name that the world and the things of this world have over people. In this church, in this community, and may they be transformed into the people that you will and desire all of us to be. Children of God, sheep in Christ's fold, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And this we pray in his name. Amen.